we could turn once more to the uh, prophecies of Isaiah prophecies of Isaiah and chapter 58 I will read from verse 6 is not this the path that I have chosen to loose the bonds of wickedness to undo the bands of the yoke and to let the oppressed go free and that he break every yoke is it not to deal thy bread to the hungry and that thou bring the poor that are cast out to thy house when thou seest the naked that thou cover him and that thou hide not thyself from thine own flesh then shall thy light break forth as the morning and thy healing shall spring forth speedily and thy righteousness shall go before thee the glory of the Lord shall be thy reward then thou shalt call and the Lord will answer and thou shalt cry and he will say here I am if thou take away from the midst of thee the yoke the putting forth of the finger and speaking wickedly and if thou draw out thy soul to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted soul then shall thy light rise in darkness and thine obscurity be as the noonday and the Lord will guide thee continually and satisfy thy soul in dry places and make strong thy bones and thou shalt be like a watered garden and like a spring of water whose waters fail not and they that shall be of thee shall build the old waste places thou shalt raise up the foundations of many generations and thou shalt be called the repairer of the breach the restorer of paths to dwell in if thou turn away thy foot from the sabbath from doing thy pleasure on my holy day and call the sabbath a delight and the holy of the lord honorable and shalt honor it not doing thine own ways nor finding thine own pleasure nor speaking thine own words then shalt thou delight thyself in the Lord and I will make thee to ride upon the high places of the earth and I will feed thee with the heritage of Jacob thy father for the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it so we just bow together in the word of prayer father we want to thank thee that we are here gathered in thy presence through the name of our Lord Jesus and father we want to thank thee that we don't have to ask thee to meet with us because we know Lord that thy desire is to commune with us thy desire is to meet with us and Lord thou knowest the need of all our hearts and lives and thou knowest the need represented Lord by every company of thy children here and Lord thou knowest the need of us as thy people in the generation in which we live O oh Lord thou knowest far more about the need than we do and Lord we come and we ask O oh Lord wilt thou by thy spirit really meet that need whether it is individual whether it is local whether it is Lord in general meet the need we pray in our day and Lord we thank thee for the provision thou hast made as we turn to thy word we by faith appropriate that provision of anointing 
whether for speaker or for hearer, that, Lord, we may really know thy being here and speaking and working in our hearts. We ask it in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. Now, yesterday evening we were talking about this whole matter of the ministry or work of Zion. We've been considering Zion, at least in the times that I have been responsible for, we've been considering this whole matter of Zion. And last night we were talking about the work of Zion. In Isaiah chapter 62, uh, we have the words of the Messiah in verse 1, For Zion's sake will I not hold my peace, and for Jerusalem's sake I will not rest, until her righteousness go forth as brightness, and her salvation as a lamp that burneth. And then in verse 6, I have set watchmen upon thy walls, O Jerusalem, they shall never hold their peace day nor night. Ye that are the Lord's remembrances, take ye no rest, and give him no rest, till he establish, until he make Jerusalem a praise in the earth. And then comes that great challenge of the Lord in verse 10. Go through, go through the gate. Prepare ye the way of the people. Cast up, cast up the highway. Gather out the stones. Lift up an ensign for the people. Now here in this Isaiah 58, we have been considering what really is the ministry and work of Zion. Um, not only is it a matter of travel, not only is it a matter of intercession if Zion is to be built and completed, there are certain matters we have to give ourselves to. And we have, considering, we have considered two of those matters last night. The first was the breaking of all oppression in verse 6. Is not this the path that I have chosen to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the bands of the yoke, and to let the oppressed go free, um, and that ye break every yoke? Now we know that it is our Lord's ministry to free uh, those who are bound. For we read it in Isaiah 61 and verse 1 and 2. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound. We have this same thought. Again, in Isaiah and chapter 42 and verse 7. Chapter 42, verse 7. Speaking of the Lord Jesus as a one who shall be for a covenant of the people, for a light of the Gentiles, to open the blind eyes, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, and them that sit in darkness out of the prison house. We know those wonderful words in John chapter 8 and verse 32 and verse 36 where our Lord Jesus said, Ye shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. And again, If therefore the Son shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. And of course we had that other wonderful word in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 18 where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. 
And that other word in Galatians 5.1, stand fast. It's not something that we can be static about. It's not something that we can be passive about. Stand fast in the freedom wherewith Christ has made you free and be not entangled again in a yoke of bondage. This freedom which has been bought for us at the cost of the blood of the Messiah is of tremendous and strategic importance. It is not just a luxury. It is strategic. Soldiers cannot fight if their arms are bound or if their feet are heavy or if their brain is dull. In this warfare in which we're found, it is essential that God's army be free, that they be able to move under the impulse of the Spirit of God and particularly in, sub in, in relationship to one another, subject to one another. We don't have soldiers all doing what they think the commander wants them to do without any regard to the rest. We have to be subject one to another. And part of our problem is this, there are some people bound to an idea, a conception, the Lord has a direct line with them, telling them what to do with a complete disregard to the rest of the family of God. This is nonsense, rubbish. We cannot just act without any regard to our brothers and sisters. We are, as it were, in a family. We are members of a body. We are living stones fitly framed together. We have a relationship to one another. And our commander um, has set in the army those who are captains and generals and captains, uh, you understand, um, as well as us ordinary soldiers. And we have to take the garden as well. We're to be subject one to another. We're to obey them that have the rule of... Now, our problem sometimes is that we are so bound to ourselves and to an egocentric Christianity that we cannot be subject to anybody. This is also bondage. The funny thing is these people talk about freedom, 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 and they are really very bound. The kind of freedom we want is the freedom to do the will of God. The freedom to really be subject one to another. The freedom to fall into the ground and die. The freedom to lay down our lives for one another. Oh, I know so many believers who long to lay down their lives, but something inhibits them. Something holds them back. Something paralyzes them. Now, this whole matter of the breaking of bondage is strategic. We can talk and talk and talk and talk about Zion, about the church, about the body of the Lord Jesus, about the work of God, about the purpose of God, but unless we give ourselves to this matter of the breaking of oppression, then we shall find that the matter is really a mental appreciation of truth. It is an academic intake of doctrine. It becomes a glorious ideal that we thoroughly believe in, absolutely believe in and cherish, but has very little practical outworking in our lives, in the communities in which we are found. God has made us his free people. If Zion is anything, Zion is free. Does it not say it in Galatians and chapter 4? It actually says it in so many words. 
Galatians chapter 4 and verse 26, but the Jerusalem that is above is free, which is the mother of us all. Zion is nothing if she is not free. But friends, we are living in a world that lies in the evil one. The prince of this world has been cast out by the finished work of the Lord Jesus, but still we are in a world that lies in the evil one. In another place we're told the prince of the powers of the air energizes the sons of disobedience. So dear ones, we are in a world, we belong to the city of God, we have been born in Zion, we're registered in Zion, we are Zionists, but we're in a world that is in captivity. We are in a world that is energized by the adversary of God. Now, do you mean to tell me that this confrontation between light and darkness, between life and death, between the Messiah and uh, the enemy of God, between God and Satan, are you going to tell me that here we are, planted in the midst of a world that has been taken, as it were, from God, the authority has been usurped, by Satan and by the powers of darkness, are you going to tell me that in this confrontation there can be coexistence? That somehow or other, just like the two superpowers in the world today, the United States and the Soviet Union, somehow or other they're going to work out some kind of coexistence with one another? <coughs> Never! There's no such thing as coexistence between this Tremendous confrontation between righteousness and evil, between truth and the lie, between God and Satan. No, there's no coexistence. And we are here on this earth as the guarantee that the nations will become his inheritance and the uttermost parts of the earth his possession. We are those who have been delivered from the power of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of his dear son. Now, do you really think the enemy is going to just leave us there and smile at us and say, well, I can't do anything about it, of course. I mean, they're saved by my great arch enemy. I can't do anything about it. Of course not. He is going to work in every single way to trip us up, to tie us up, to bind us, to inhibit us, to oppress us, to bring the yoke of bondage back onto us. And therefore, the very first thing we've considered is this matter in principle. It is in general. You notice it's not so personal. It says, is not this the path that I have chosen? Is not this the thing that we must give ourselves to with everything we have to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the bands of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke. Whether it is in the work of the kingdom, whether it is in the building of the church, whether it is in the preaching of the gospel, whether it is in children's work, or whether it is in youth work, whatever it is, dear friends, we are going to come up against bondage. Sooner or later the enemy is going to say, I will not let this go any further. And we have got to learn how to loose the bonds of wickedness. How to undo the bands of the yoke. 
For instance, some of you in children's work, don't you sometimes find that there is an awful pall of heaviness that sometimes hangs over the whole thing? We don't know what to do with it. We just sit under it. We just sort of expect it. We take it as natural. No, there's a time where those responsible have got to get together and assert the Lordship of Jesus Christ over that work. It's the same with youth work. Do we want our sons to marry us? Do we want those sons, as it says in Isaiah 62, to marry the old generation, to be wedded to the old generation? Well, listen, there is an enemy who's going to work a work of bondage and fetter those young people and insinuate into their minds ideas that somehow or other will alienate them altogether from what God has been doing in those who are a little older. And no amount of instructing them or correcting them or giving them heavy words or books to read is going to do anything about it. The thing that has to be done sometime or other that are those who've got to get behind the scenes and assert the Lordship of Jesus Christ and to command the loosing of the bonds of wickedness. Undo the bands of the yoke that would take away the new generation enslaved in another direction. Let the oppressed go free. Break every yoke. These things are essential. They're not just essential. They're strategic. That's my point. Now I use that word. I do hope you understand what I'm talking about. Strategic. In the sense it's all to do with the strategy of God and the strategy of the enemy. The strategy of the enemy is to inhibit the people of God and bring them back into bondage to the enemy's influence, to compromise them. So that they pray and it means nothing. They preach and nothing happens. They have new truths revealed to them and there's no outworking of it. He's just said, I've got them where I want them. Here is God's free people, but I've bound them. I have said this light shall not shine in darkness. I have said this light shall not bring resurrection to those who are dead in trespasses and sins. Now, if you and I are ready for that, that will be our experience. If you want to sit under it and sit, sing hymns and say prayers and read Bible and have Bible studies and have little meetings, and so the Lord will say, all right. They talk about Zion, they sing about Zion, they pray about Zion, they rejoice in the ideal of Zion. But frankly, there's no building of Zion. It's all in their heads. Because until this whole matter is really dealt with, there can be no light breaking forth as the morning and healing springing forth speedily and righteousness that is the justifying work of the Lord going before us and the glory of the Lord coming up behind us. Isn't that wonderful? You'll never know the glory of the Lord unless first you know the justifying work of the Lord. That's the thing that goes first and behind comes the glory of the Lord and we're all in it in between those wonderful things. And we spoke about love and compassion in all relationships. What a need there is. Don't you think for this tremendous need for love and compassion in all our relationships? We are in the midst of a, of a needy world, of a society that is empty and aimless, tragically so. And somehow the word comes to us is not this the fast that I have chosen to deal thy bread to the hungry, that thou bring the poor that are cast out into thy house when thou seest the naked that thou cover him 
and that thou hide not thyself from thine own flesh. What a tremendous need there is for us to know this work of the Lord. This love of God being shed abroad in our hearts. We need a sensitiveness to this world. We can become like little automatic spiritual machines. We are working in offices, working in colleges, working in hospitals. We rub shoulders with our neighbors. We see our friends who are not saved, our relatives that are not saved, and our hearts are not moved with compassion. There is no love in our hearts. We know very well they're all going to hell, and the very way we put it is sort of in a kind of, in quotes, it, it is a half-hard attitude. We need the love of God to be shed aboard in our hearts. Because love is the only way in which in the end the body of the Lord Jesus is really built up. It is the only way in which disorder is overcome. Now I'm not talking about sentimental, naive, gullible love, that kind of sloppy, sloshy thing that some people call love. You do anything, you allow anything, you know, that kind. Right? Love isn't like that. Real love sometimes gives us a caning. Real love has it out with us at times and confronts us with where we're going wrong. Real love demands order at times. Real love is concerned about our growing up into maturity, about our education, about our becoming disciplined, responsible members of the body of the Lord Jesus. That's real love. That's the love of God. So when, when the Lord loves us, he scourges us. Now, thank God he doesn't spend his time scourging us. I mean, uh, as if all the time he just beats us and says, now you do realize I love you very much. And gives us another big beating and says, you realize just how much I love you. And then gives you another big beating. Now, some of us need those beatings. But you know the Lord's not like that. The Lord really does love us. But there are times when the Lord does not let us get away with anything. When we were spiritual babies, we got away with murder. But once we start to grow up, the Lord says, no more, no more. Now you will learn that you cannot do that. You cannot take that position. You cannot have that attitude. You cannot deal with that other brother or sister like that. Because you will suffer if you do. In other words, the Lord's beginning to deal with us. Now, don't we need this kind of love? We need this love in our attitude to one another. To be able to see one another. And to be able to see the world through the eyes of God. Real love. The kind of love that's strong and firm and true and righteous and merciful and compassionate. Oh, for such a love in our... Don't you think we need a baptism of love? I think so. There's such a need in all our hearts. This is one thing that doesn't just stay there, does it? You know, the Lord speaks to the church at Ephesus and says, You have left your first love. It's the easiest thing in the world to let the routine take over, to let all the meetings take over, to let even the ideas, the conceptions of truth take over. And without even knowing it, the real first love has gone. We're no longer in love with our Lord. We're no longer moved by a tender sensitivity to Him. 
Somehow or other we've got the routine. We've got the other things. Well now, dear ones, let's move on to another matter here in this chapter. Verse um, 9, the, the second part of it. If thou take away from the midst of thee the yoke, the putting forth of the finger, and speaking wickedly, and if thou draw out thy soul to the hungry, and satisfy the afflicted soul, then shall thy light rise in darkness, and thine obscurity be as noonday. Now, did you hear this? Some of us are in such small companies that we feel, oh, nothing can ever happen. But listen to this. Then shall thy light rise in darkness, and thine obscurity be as noonday. Some of the modern versions put thy gloom shall be as midday. <laughs> All that somehow obscure, that is somehow dark. Um, we have an old word in English, gloaming, in the gloaming, that is in half light. Uh, um, will give way to midday light, noonday light, the brightness of the sun at noonday. It doesn't matter how few we are. If we will give real attention to this ministry and work of Zion, to first the breaking of all oppression in general, whether it is those in the world, whether it is in general in the atmosphere and so on, if we will really give heed to this matter of seeking the Lord for a baptism of His love, that we may have hearts of love and compassion in all our dealings, in all our relationships. Now we come to the third thing, dealing with the problems in our midst. Now it begins even more personal, you see. The Lord says, If thou take away from the midst of thee the yoke, and putting forth of the finger, and speaking wickedly. And if thou draw out thy soul to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted soul. Now we've come down to Zion in our locality. Where we really are living. Now the Lord says it's all very well to talk about this in general. To talk about it in principle. Now we come right down to where we live in our fellowship with one another in the locality in which we are found. Here are three things. Take away from the midst of thee the yoke. Take away, secondly, the putting forth of the finger and speaking wickedly. And thirdly, draw out your soul to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted soul. Firstly, we are told to take away from the midst of thee, or midst of us, the yoke. We have to deal with the problems in our midst. Where is the yoke? Take it away. Is it bondage? Is it inhibition? Is it limitation? Is it a heaviness? Is it getting into a rut? Let us deal with it. Now I don't mean let us have novel ideas. You know, oh, some of the Lord's people get into this trap where they think as long as they're doing something new, singing hymns standing on chairs, or sort of praying with your head under the chair, or, 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 you know, either we put our hands up or we keep our hands down, or as long as we're doing something new, we'll, we'll not get in a rut. I'm not talking about that. As if novelty is the answer to everything. As if doing all kinds of new things and always trying to find something, some new method or new technique. That's not the way. What we've got to deal with is that 
kind of yoke <clears throat> that can be in a person's circumstances or in a person's life or sometimes just in the very atmosphere of the company in which we are found. Now very often you see we are found fighting one another because somehow the other there's just a the enemy, as I said last night, is sitting on the whole thing. And we feel this as we come. We sing in a half-hearted way. We pray in a half-hearted way. We, we don't feel able to communicate. We don't feel able to touch one another in the Lord. And we sit there in a kind of stupor, almost. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? We all know it. Now this isn't something American. <laughs> uh, it's something all over the world. It, it, it's one of these things the enemy does in, his, in the work of the Lord. He sort of just says, I'm going to sit on this. And the amazing thing is the Lord says, yes, I give you permission. You can sit on them. I have liberated them. I have provided them with weapons of warfare which can deal with anything that you have in your armory. Now I will give you permission to sit on this work, upon this building of Zion in this locality, until they wake up. And so you see, we have to wake up. And sometimes we've got to deal with this thing, whether it's in persons or in the atmosphere, or whether it's in homes, or whether it's in the life of the church, we've got to deal with it. You see, there are times when in our little things we all feel that we should be moving in a certain way, and yet no one dares say anything. Isn't it strange? I mentioned it last night. But again and again we all sit facing each other and we get more and more awkward, and more and more self-conscious, and more and more tied up, and... It's so silly. Now, may I say a word to those who are responsible? Because very much of this matter goes to those who are given responsibility in the uh, uh, fellowship of God's people um, locally. You and I, we have to give ourselves to this matter of taking away the yoke from the midst of us. We cannot expect the sheep to um, take over if the shepherds are somehow or other doing nothing. You see, the enemy is very clever. He comes to saints who are often more spiritually sensitive than those who have responsibility and leadership. And he says, oh, isn't it heavy? And we say, yes, it is. Terribly heavy. And he says, well, well, well. And then he, he says, you really ought to be doing something about it, didn't you? And you say, well, yes, but how can I? Brother so-and-so's not doing anything. He's not saying anything. And so we all sit. And the interesting thing is that the enemy comes to brother so-and-so and says, now don't you do anything because they'll kill you if you do. <laughs> if you take any action on this thing, they will think, what a weird uh, person you are. You've gone to that conference and got all excited. They'll sort of say, oh, what an excitable person. He's just simply doing what he heard somebody else tell him to do. And so we get all frightened. 
and fearful. And strangely enough, it's on both sides. So no one does anything. And we can sit for months in and months out and months in and months out with an awful sense of heaviness in the atmosphere. It's a yoke. It's a yoke. In other words, when we come to times of prayer, when we ought to be coming to the place, you know the kind of thing, we come right up to the point where something really could break through. And then when we come to it, if a yoke is there, and we are steered away from it at the last moment. Have you had that experience? Or sometimes in a time of praise, it's as if the praise begins to rise to a real crescendo. It's not emotional. It really is the Lord. And we say, oh, bless the Lord. We're going to the Lord. And when all of a sudden, rather, it fizzles out. This happens again and again in the life of the church. As if somehow there's a release of divine life and as if we're being moved forward and then all of a sudden, last night, nothing happens. We don't go through. We don't go through. And the problem is that there's a yoke. Now what is a yoke? A yoke is something by which uh, a bullock, a oxen, a donkey, as so often in the uh, Middle East, is steered. Do you understand? You put a yoke on and got them a double yoke with the pole through. Do you understand? Through. And so the two things have to move together. That's why it says in the words, which I'm afraid amongst our dear Arab people, is not observed very much. The Bible says you shall not yoke an ass and a bullock together. Now have you ever thought why you shouldn't? Why they should be unequally yoked? Because a donkey is very much smaller than an ox. And it's a cruel thing when you've got one small creature yoked to a big creature. It means that that big creature is dragging the other along all the time and its shoulders get chased. Now, isn't it interesting that God was so concerned 4,000 years ago nearly, uh, when he gave that word through Moses, that animals would be treated rightly. They should be equally yoked together. Of course, it has tremendous spiritual lessons for us because the Bible says, be not unequally yoked together. And those who have got unequally yoked together in marriage and in other things know very well what I'm talking about. Because you have one partner who is going one direction and either you have a lot of problems or you have to go the same way. You understand what I mean? Now, this matter of the yoke, why does the Lord use the word yoke? Because the enemy is trying to put a yoke on you and put a pole through that binds both yokes together so that he can just stop you from doing what the Lord wants you to do. He can just take a company and stop it going through into the realization of the purpose of God at the last moment. Just as you're going to, he turns around and you have to go with him. You can't go through. So we brethren who are responsible in leadership, and I'm not meaning all the time dictating everything publicly, but leadership is a matter that is there, whether it's visible or invisible, if you know what I mean. You can, you can exert leadership without saying a word. We who are leaders, we who are responsible in the things of God, we need to give ourselves and take away the yoke from the midst of thee. Deal with it. How do we deal with it? We deal with it through the finished work of the Lamb. There's no other way. If I think that so-and-so's got a yoke on him and I go to him and say, I say, listen, I think you're bound. We're going to get into problems. If all we're going to go to one another and say, I think you're bound. I think you're bound. I think you're bound. My word, it'll be a witch hunt. 
We don't want that kind of thing. What we need to do is to tackle this thing spiritually. Because it is a spiritual matter. And the yoke has got to be broken. And how is it broken? Through the finished work of the Lamb. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. By the word of their testimony, because they loved not their lives even unto death. It is to learn how to take the consequences, effects, of the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ and apply them to the building of Zion in our localities. Sometimes it is just a matter of declaring the truth that we need to take away the yoke from the midst of us. Sometimes we so long to be able to communicate with one another. I think at home, in the company I come from in Britain, how often sometimes in our house fellowship people have said to me, when they've really started to open up, they've said, oh, I've longed for so long to be able to open up to my brothers and sisters and just tell them the need that's in my heart. Now, we all know people who are so egocentric, so self-centered, that they would just, they're like whirlpools. You know what I mean? They sort of want to talk about themselves and pray about themselves and have the whole church circling around them endlessly. And they sort of suck us into a whirlpool so that the whole thing goes round and round and round and round and round them. We have to be careful of those kind of people. But you know, I'm talking about the vast majority of God's children who really have real needs and will never bring them out into the open. Never. They've got real, they don't want to impose upon their brothers and sisters. They don't want to somehow, uh, they feel, I don't want to be, I don't want to draw attention to myself. But you see, sometimes we've got needs in our hearts which need, which need the body. We need the ministry of the body. We need, sometimes we only have to open up and say, you know, I've been suffering from depression for the last two months. And they're unusual. Could you brothers and sisters pray for me? And you know, it is amazing how sometimes we just open up one and the prayer, and instantly the yoke is broken. It was a work of the enemy. But that person could not get through alone. They needed their brothers and sisters. And the very act of opening up to your brothers and sisters has bought relief. You see, sometimes, and it's a very interesting thing, you know, we can look at each other, after all, let's be honest, we only see the appearance of one another. There, there are very few of us who've got those wonderful x-ray eyes that look right through one another and see all the deep things about one another, you know, and understand. There are some people like that who are older in the Lord and you just feel when those eyes swivel onto us, we feel, oh! <laughs> I remember years ago, a very, very dear sister who was a really great spiritual warrior and still is. She's 80-something today. She knew Mrs. Penn Lewis. And I said to her, I suppose some of you probably don't know who Mrs. Penn Lewis is, but she was one of the really uh, most extraordinary Bible teachers that the church has ever had. And she was a lady. Um... <laughs> Now, I'm not saying that ladies should all be Bible teachers, but there are now and again Deborahs um, that are exceptions to the rule, and it's quite remarkable, but this one was. And, and I said to this dear sister, because she knew her so well, I said to her, what is it that made the biggest impression upon you about Mrs. Penn Lewis? Oh, she said, 
I can tell you straight away. She said, all these years later, she said, I still, she had x-ray eyes. <laughs> she said, I, if those eyes turned, I felt as if everything in me, she just saw. Well, that sometimes makes it a bit uncomfortable for fellowship, doesn't it? <laughs> Unless there's a tremendous amount of love. Now, those of you who are older in the Lord and have some of that capacity, do you see the need to seek the Lord for love? You can put fear into your brothers and sisters just because you have got so much maturity, because you have got such a knowledge of the Lord, because somehow or other you had that spiritual intuition, that discernment. Now, if we had that, we need to seek the Lord for love all the more, that we may be filled with love. You understand? Now, coming back uh, uh, to this matter, um, we, we really do need uh, to open up to one another. You know, sometimes we look at one another just the exterior, and I see someone there who seems very correct, and very nice, scrubbed and clean, pious and godly, with a smiling face, and I think so-and-so doesn't know anything about problems. In fact, sometimes we can think of one another as very shallow. Let me tell you something. Against myself. I used to think that one of the most shallow hymns in the whole church hymn book was that hymn, Now thank we all our God, with heart and soul and voice. I used to think, what a shallow hymn. I mean, we used to think it, Now thank we all our God. You know the one. Good old Lutheran hymn, marvellous hymn. But I used to think, I suppose he never had a problem. You read right through those three verses, he doesn't seem to have a single problem in them. He never mentions darkness, he never mentions travail, he never mentions suffering, he never mentions the mystery of pain. I thought, it must have been very nice to write a hymn just like that, you know. <laughs> and I suppose dear, the dear Lord smiled and thought, Lance is himself so shallow. And you know, I stumbled across in some old book, the story of Now Thank We All Our God. It comes, of course, from the uh, 16th, 17th, 16th, 17th century, and it was a time of plague. And that dear man who wrote that hymn saw two-thirds of his congregation die with the plague. And in the end, the grave diggers wouldn't bury anybody with the plague, and he buried them himself with his own hands. And on the day that his wife died and children, and he buried them with his own hands, he went back and wrote the hymn, Now thank we all our God, with heart and soul and voice. And when I read that, I thought, Oh Lord, I dare not meet that brother one day after what I've said about him. I thought he was shallow, I thought it was so easy for him. It wasn't. Now do you see how sometimes we can look at one another and we can see something that seems so calm, so perfect, so they don't have any problem, we don't open up to one another, so we don't know what lies behind the face. 
But when the brothers and sisters begin to open up to one another in our times of fellowship and we ask for help from one another and ask for ministry from one another, my goodness, we begin to understand one another. We begin to love each other. We become more sensitive toward one another because we're handling people that are very precious to God and we begin to see how precious they are. You know, if that dear brother had been in in one of our groups here, I would have probably thought, hmm, he hasn't got much to offer. Now thank we all our God. He hasn't suffered like I have. When I say now thank we all our God, it means something. He's no good. But then in a time, he says, in a time, he says, Brothers and sisters, I don't want to impose upon you all, but could you pray for me? I feel so lonely. I've lost my wife. I've lost my children. I've lost so many that are dear to me. And I stay awake at night and think about them. Could you pray for me? And I think, has that brother got such an experience? And as I pray for him, a love, a new love comes into my heart. And a new sense of the preciousness of that brother. And God's dealings with him. And what precious stone is being produced in his experience and life. You see, I have a new relationship with him. It's not only that he is my brother. I begin now to understand him. And cherish him as my brother. Now we all have our brothers and sisters, but we don't always cherish them or understand them sometimes we feel we have to put up with them oh well so and so saved I suppose I've got her for eternity (laughs) so and so's in the kingdom (laughs) we don't understand one another take away the yoke from the midst of thee and now listen to this Take away the putting forth of the finger and speaking wickedly. What is this putting forth of the finger? Well, it is this kind of thing. Sometimes it is trying to instruct one another all the time. You see? You listen to me. God has given me something to say. Oh, if I find that those people the bane of fellowship... The people with heavy words all the time that get us into corners, especially the younger ones, and give us heavy words to do us good. It's the putting forth of the, of the finger and it is speaking wickedly because it is not commanded of the Lord. And anything we say in the name of the Lord which the Lord has not commanded is wicked. We are taking the name of the Lord in vain. God preserve us. Better to talk about the weather. Better to talk about a motorcycle or the Olympics tomorrow evening or is it tonight? Um, uh, and have a thought of fellowship that way uh, than to have a heavy word for somebody which the Lord has not commanded. It does damage. But you see, this matter of putting forth the finger is much more profound than that. You know, if you think this word is good for somebody else, and you're sitting there saying to her, I hope so-and-so's listening to this. <laughs> I want to tell you, this word is for you. <laughs> because in your very attitude of sitting there and saying, 
Lord, unblock so-and-so's ears for this word. <laughs> unblock their ears, Lord, get it into them. Get it into them. You are putting forth the finger. Do you see? You're putting forth, you're saying, Lord, so-and-so. I'm so glad that word, you brought forth that word, Lord, that's just what so-and-so needs. Slay them, Lord, slay them. <laughs> You see, we all have a psychological way of pitchforking responsibility onto somebody else. As soon as we see something, we pitchfork over. It's really coming from us. But psychologically, we say, Oh Lord, this is wonderful for brother so-and-so. Here's something else coming, sister so-and-so, Lord. My word, Lord, this is a blessed meeting. You're just dealing with all kinds of people in our midst. Now you laugh. But isn't it true of us all? Yes, it is. I sit there sometimes thinking, I hope so-and-so's listening to this. <laughs> because it's our attitude. It is our heart attitude. We don't work. We're putting forth the finger. We say, so-and-so's the one for this. So-and-so's the one for this. May God humble us. It is something to repent of. And although we have laughed, because it, it touches us all, and the, the only thing we can do when we hear this sound is to smile. Yet, it is not a smiling matter. This is something that has to be taken away from our midst. You see, our Lord said, before you take the moat out of your brother's eye, take the beam out of your own. You see the little bit of sawdust in your brother's eye, but you have a log in your own. Now get rid of the log. Take away the log out of your own eye. The Word of God says quite a lot about this matter. If we look at James and um, chapter 3, Listen to this. Be not many of you teachers, my brethren, knowing that ye shall receive heavier judgments, but in many things we all stumble. If any stumbleth not in word, the same is a perfect man, able to bri bridle also the whole body. Now if we put the horses' bridles into their mouths that they may obey us, we turn about their whole body also. Behold, the ships also, though they are so great and, and are driven by rough winds, are yet turned about by a very small rudder, whether the impulse of the steersman willeth. So the tongue also is a little member and boasteth great things. Behold how much wood is kindled by how small a fire. And the tongue is a fire. The world of iniquity among our members is the tongue which defileth the whole body and set us on fire, the wheel of nature, and is set on fire by hell. You know, we can have in our midst people who are always, always, always criticizing, 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 insinuating, casting aspersions on others, doubts on others, putting forth the finger all the time. It's so-and-so, so-and-so is the problem in our midst, so-and-so is this, this and the other. Oh, a few little words. They're set on fire by hell. And a whole wheel is set in motion that causes bitterness and division and faction. 
We are to take away this kind of thing. It's part of the ministry of Zion. Because the Lord says that if we take away this from our midst, then he says, your light will rise in darkness and your obscurity will be as midday. But you see, once again, time is flying away. And then we have this other matter about drawing out your soul to the hungry and satisfying the afflicted soul. Here we are dealing with our own uh, folks in our own midst. You know, we can talk about the world in need and talk about love and compassion in a general way, but in the end it comes down to those people that we are associated with in the Lord in our own locality. And you know, it says, draw out your soul to the hungry. It doesn't just happen. You must draw out your soul as if you're pulling um, a, a, a bucket out of a deep well. Draw out your soul to the hungry and uh, uh, satisfy the afflicted soul. Are there afflicted ones? Are they being satisfied? Are there hungry ones? Are, is their need being met? We must give ourselves to this. And lastly, may I say something in closing in this Isaiah chapter 58 about this last word, verse 13, If thou turn away thy foot from the Sabbath, from doing thy pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy of the Lord honorable, and shalt honor it, not doing thine own ways, and so on, nor finding thine own pleasure, nor speaking thine own words, then shalt thou delight thyself in the Lord. You know, worship, listen to me in this, worship, real worship, is a gift. What we often call worship, God doesn't really call worship. He still loves it. But it's not real worship, because to delight yourself in the Lord has to be given you. It's to do with freedom. And to be able to really delight, then shalt thou delight. It's as if the Lord says, I won't hide myself from you, I will open my heart to you. I will give you such a vision of myself, such an unveiling of my glory and beauty, that you'll be overcome with ecstasy, overcome with delight. Delight is an emotional word, you know. Then sort thou delight. Now what is it all about? What is this Sabbath? Now some people feel we should still keep the Sabbath. I've always had problems on that because the Sabbath really is the seventh day, which is Saturday. And if we're going to keep it according to Scripture, it begins on Friday evening with sunset. I don't know many people who keep that. And also, in the New Testament it says, quite clearly, some observe Sabbath. Meaning that evidently the Apostle Paul felt that most of the believers then didn't feel uh, that they had to keep the Sabbath. So how did they view the Sabbath? Well, they viewed it in a very interesting way, because really what is the Sabbath? The Sabbath is the Lord's inheritance, or, put it this way, it's the Lord's rest, or, put it another way, it is the Lord's right. Now, if we see it like that, it explains a whole lot. Because what the Lord is saying is this, if you will give me my rights, and if you will allow me to have my inheritance, my rest, come into my resting place, then thou shalt delight thyself in the Lord. 
and thou shalt, I will make thee, or cause thee, to ride upon the high places of the earth. And I will feed thee with the heritage of Jacob, thy father. You notice this? You shall not speak your own words. You shall not find your own pleasure. You shall not do your own way. What is all this about? It was the Lord's right, the Sabbath, as if the Lord was reminding the people, one day out of seven I want to remind you that you belong to me, I have rights. In actual fact, what the Lord was really saying was, the rest of the week is mine as well. He wasn't saying, one day is mine, do what you like with the others. He was saying, I want to remind you on this day that the whole earth is mine. I am the creator of heaven and earth. And I have sanctified this day that you remember me and that you give me my rights. In other words, to put it in New Testament language, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. Now are we really giving the Lord his rights? In our companies, has the Lord really got his rights? Are we putting priorities, giving him his... Have we got our priorities right? Seeking first. What a marvelous promise this is. Then shalt thou delight thyself in the Lord, and I, and I will cause thee to ride upon the high places of the earth. Dear friends, the trouble with most of us is we are not riding the high places of the earth. We are underground most of the time. We are not above, we are beneath. We are not with the head, we are the tail. For the Lord's promise is, his Zion shall not be beneath but above. His Zion will ride the high places of the earth. Go through, go through the gate. Prepare ye the way of the people. Cast up, cast up the highway. Gather out the stones. Lift up an ensign for the people. What way can we do it? By tackling this whole matter of oppression and bondage. By love and compassion in all our relationships and dealings. By dealing with tackling the problems that are in our midst and seeing that it all starts at home. In other words, where we live. And by above all, giving the Lord his life. If we shall do this, we shall be like a spring of waters whose waters fail not. Now that doesn't mean a lot to you here, but in, in Israel, very often, we have a kind of well that lasts for a while and all of a sudden it dries up. My word, if you've got a garden and the well has dried up, it's the finish. <coughs> you shall be satisfied even in time of drought. My, that's a problem. And the Lord will make your bones strong. Does anyone got weak bones? You doctors know very well that health is very much tied up with our bones and with the marrow in our bones. And the Lord says, I will make your bones what you cannot see. 
I will make strong and I will give health at the heart of the matter. This is a tremendous promise. Your light shall rise in darkness. Your obscurity becomes midday brightness. It will become a watered garden, a spring of waters, whose waters fail not. And then those that be of thee shall build the old waste places. They shall be called the restorer of the, the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. Then shalt thou delight in the Lord, and he will cause thee to ride upon the high places of the earth, and feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father. <laughs>